Welcome to a craft conversation brought to you by Quela Books. In this episode, fiction publisher Carolyn Meads talks to Jen Thorpe, a well-known feminist writer from Cape Town and the author of the novel The Fall. The Fall is set against the topical Fees Must Fall movement, but in an alternative South Africa. It is a riveting, speculative work of fiction filled with fantastical creatures, high suspense, and social-political commentary. When Tuli reveals her secret, that she can see up to seven days into the future, to a seasoned local journalist named Helen, the latter is highly skeptical of the student's claims. But as Tuli truly believes that Fees Must Fall protest leader Hector will be assassinated by a sinister force, Helen starts to look into the matter. And what she finds is some very odd behavior by the police sent to keep the peace on campus. Police sent by Noné, South Africa's president and most impressive leader, who wants no trouble from pesky students while she plans the launch of her zoo of creatures with extraordinary abilities. One thing is certain, if what Thule has seen is true, they have only seven days to change the future. We hope you enjoy this conversation between the author and her publisher. The Fall is available at your favorite bookstore and online, along with other titles by this remarkable author. Jane, I'm very uh, excited actually to have this discussion with you because I find the process that writers take to actually get to a, a final manuscript that they submit very interesting. And then obviously also the whole process of working with an author to help develop the story and to finally get the book out on the shelves and yeah just congratulations again with this stunning book that you've written and yeah I mean I think Sarah Lott's her uh, her shout on the cover just sums it up breathtakingly imaginative original and entertaining so that I completely agree it's such a a gripping, um, thrilling read and so imaginative. So congratulations on that. (laughs) Thank you so much. So let's jump in right at the beginning. When you decide, okay, I'm going to write a book, what do you do? How do you start? Do you start with planning? I know there is differentiation between, I've heard before um, that there are planners and pantsers. (laughs) <laughs> people who yeah, people who plan um, in detail, they um, you know have their chapters and they know what's happening in each chapter and they know they're working to a specific end at the end of the story. And then there are pantsers who sort of write by the seat of their pants. So they have a more organic process. They start and then things just develop and they don't necessarily know where they're going to, what the end of the story is going to be. So where do you fall on the spectrum and yeah, how do, what does your planning look like? So I think I'm a little half and half. When I get 
story in my head, it's normally from the perspective of a particular character. So it's not necessarily what the whole story is about or what's going to happen. It's someone's voice that comes into my head and says, you have to write this down. Um, and so with The Fall, that's exactly what happened. I started with Tuli's voice that came into my head. And then because of what Tuli was telling me to write down, which this all sounds mad, but so whatever Tuli was telling me, then I knew she had to tell it to someone and the news was about someone. So two more characters came out of that. But you reach a point, or at least I do, where you've written far enough that you actually need to sit and plan what happens next, especially in a novel like The Four, where each of the characters has the same amount of time to chat with us. And yes. so I got about... I would probably say halfway, and then I started to plan on a huge um, mind map on a wall. I was at a residency in France, and I luckily had a whole office to myself, and I just put up big poster paper and started to map, and then this happened, and then this happened. Also, so I didn't forget what had already happened in the story yeah. before I wrote to the game. <laughs> so yeah. I, I was definitely pantsing at the beginning and then planning at the end. Um, and that's what's happened with both the Peculiars and the Four Wine, it's what's happening with the novel that I'm writing now. So I think that's probably my method. <laughs> uh, okay, that's very interesting. And I, I liked the fact that you said that you start with a character's voice. So mm. would you say that the, the characters come to you first or, or the plot? I think... So I'm writing a few things at the moment and the ones that, I'm, that I seem able to finish are ones where the characters come to me first because it feels like I have a clear sense of who this person is and what they need from me as a writer or they need out of the story. Whereas I've got another piece that I'm writing where I'm trying to focus on something that's interested me in, in a sort of more conceptual plot way and I just can't get around it like it's not letting me finish. So I mm. think Characters are helpful because they drive action. They want something or they're in conflict yes. with someone. And so that helps you to get to the next chapter to know what's going to happen next. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, so so speaking about what the characters want, uh, do, you, do you really, uh, you know, go into depth into who they are before you start writing and, you know, know every detail of their life there? likes and dislikes mm. what kind of chips they like and so <laughs> forth you know every little detail um when you when you are working and I mean even things that don't come into the novel in the end yeah. is that the way you work so by the end that's definitely what you as the writer have to know there's so much stuff that you've written about the characters and that you know about what they want and need and how they dress and you know what chips they like by the end of the story but at, at the beginning I just write I just try to get as much as I can down on the page and then you know, I think in the fall I was very lucky to have worked with a couple of writing groups including um, one uh, led by Rala Zanopoulos who's a South African writer but who's now living overseas and the two, uh, workshops by Moira Fisher and Chantal Stewart and they, they really helped me to think of fleshing the characters out. So I would go to those workshops, not with any broad goal of contributing to the story or advancing the novel, but just of sitting with the character and writing arbitrary scenes that may have been in their childhood. So just so you could get a sense of why they are the way they are. Because when you understand that, then you start to understand why they're doing things now. Oh, that's very interesting, yes. So how, do, how does that process work of imagining yourself into... The, the these characters lives and putting yourself in their shoes do you draw on your own experiences or experiences of other 
um, people that you know, you know, do your base characters on on people that you know to be able to really, um, you know, be authentic. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, a lot of writing around things like character types and character tropes that can help you when you're getting started. Like, this is a this type of character. This is this is the baddie. This is the villain. This is our hero. And um, so those are helpful at the beginning if you know who those people are. But um, the thing that I use to develop their character that is most useful is a sort of questionnaire. So there's a couple that you can find online. There's the Proust questionnaire where, you, where they're oh, obscure yes. questions. Yeah. They're not questions like, you know, what do you like to wear? How do you, it's it's really quite deep questions that you might ask after like a year of therapy. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so I, with Hector, for instance, I was struggling with his character because in the initial draft, he was a lot more arrogant and he he was a bit unlikable. And I'm not opposed to unlikable characters. I think they're important. But I needed Hector to be someone that you cared about and you had to care what mm. happened to him. And so I spent a lot of time trying to work out with him, you know, why is he being so arrogant? Why does he think he has to solve everything? And so I literally imagining that I was interviewing him the way that we're talking now and just writing down okay. what it into my head. So there is a fair, a fair amount of complete madness involved in developing a novel. <laughs> Um, but yeah. this sounds like sound like great techniques actually and uh, I think anybody who's listening who is interested in writing or is writing already can you know take something out of that yeah, yeah it's very Google interesting character questionnaires you'll find hundreds on the internet and they they can be really fun so I know with Rala she had like a kids party game that she pulled out and it was stuff like truth or dare or never ever would I ever and just those simple questions okay. that you would you know, that you would have asked a friend as a child growing up. If you know yeah. that about your character, you know something deep about them, how they would behave in certain situations and what their their ethical and moral boundaries are, which is really important, especially yes. in a political novel. Exactly. But uh, yeah, the only difference is you're talking to your imaginary friends in this yeah. in this case. <laughs> so yes, like you say, a bit mad, but wonderful. <laughs> they get me through um, lockdown, so it's all right. Yeah, yeah that's great. Okay, so so in the fall we have quite uh, a few characters that are telling the story, and we get different chapters from different characters' perspectives. Mm. Uh, so, how did you decide which characters are going to tell which part of the story? So, I, initially, when I started writing, I started with Tuli, and then I knew she had to be talking to the journalist. So it went Tuli, Helen, and then we met Hector only after that. So you had known this terrible thing was going to happen to him and then suddenly you meet him and you get the choice whether to care about him or not. And so but the way that I went was that when I started out, there were originally seven characters in the four and there were going to be seven chapters, so seven days. So, mm. so I knew that I wanted yeah. each character to have seven chances to tell me what they needed to tell me which is a very helpful okay. text for writing. And it made it really fun because I knew if they didn't tell me something important in this section on this day of the story, they weren't going to get a chance to tell me that thing that day. But it also meant because I was trying to give them each a chance to talk, that day couldn't drag on forever and I couldn't repeat things, you know, that they would have each shared seeing. So like if Tuli and Hector were at the protest together, I couldn't each tell them talking about the same thing because yeah. that's you know, bog down the writing and slow down the plot. So yes. I really had to think about those decisions of who will keep the pace going. You know, who do you want to hear from next? If something terrible has happened to the protesters by the police, 
who's in charge. And so then you move on to Ray and you get to talk with her a little bit. But I think one of the most helpful things that I've learned about writing is that characters are most interesting when they're at a conflict, when they both want something and yeah. one of them is not going to get it. And so it's helpful when you think of trying to put a seat, put that that dynamic into a scene where each person is going to come out of it, one satisfied and one unsatisfied, or maybe both unsatisfied, and that drives the plot. And that really does help you to think, okay, what is the tension in the scene and what will make me want to ch- turn to the next chapter to find out more? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm making it sound like I had any idea when I knew what I was doing, but this <laughs> all only really comes in the editing phase, which is far after you've finished the first draft and, yeah. you know, you've fallen in love with your characters and you think everything you've written is fantastic and then you sort of have to get take a break and get a real ego check and come back onto editing. Yeah, but, um, I mean, I can see that in the final product. I think that uh, definitely those tensions, that's what... Uh, keeps you reading and it is really like a page turner because of that and also because you sort of leave off with the one character's story and then there are st- you're reading a few other characters points of view and you want to get back to because you left us on sort of you know hanging with that one character and you're like well, but what's happening with that character so you're you're reading uh, quicker and quicker to actually find out if everyone is okay. And I think that's great that, you know, you've created characters that that we care about enough to want to keep on reading and, and find out what's happened to them. So that's, yeah, amazing, actually. Oh, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly can't thank the people that helped me in those writing groups and your support and, you know, with Rala working through the characters one by one with me. Um, there's also some really helpful books that you think, I mean, I love reading books about writing because it makes me feel like I'm actually still a writer, even when I know I should be writing and not reading. Um, mm. And there's some credible books out there that can really make you rethink, oh, like this is what was wrong in the scene. This is why it's feeling a bit dead. Because when you first write it down, you have no idea. I mean, at least I don't have any idea. I'm just writing what comes into my head. I'm thinking of the action. But holding the whole plot and what everyone should be doing together and making it tight and, you know, leaving clues early on so that when you get to a certain point, you're like, oh, my word. You know, those things are yeah. really hard. They are work, and they're, but they're fun too. And I think, you know, Gloria Steinem says about writing that it's the only thing she does when she doesn't feel like she'd be doing something else. And that's how I feel. Like, I can play on okay. writing all day long. <laughs> Give me other work and I'm always procrastinating. Yeah. So. Okay, great. But yeah, you've mentioned the the writing courses and and things a, a few times now. So, is it something you would recommend to um, to other writers? Uh, I mean, I think it helped. You say it helped you. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, so there's there's a couple of courses that I've done online as well. So I've got the Masterclass app, which is sort of like a Netflix but for educational oh, learning okay. with quite famous writers, actors, musicians, all sorts of creative people. And and there's really amazing courses on there by Margaret Atwood and Neil Gaiman and Shonda Rhimes. And those were also, they are good to do because you're learning something and it can change the way you think about what you're doing. But an actual workshop where you're required to write and read out aloud and have people say, oh, but I didn't really understand that. Can you clarify what you meant there? It's so helpful and so valuable. Mm. The writing community in South Africa is so supportive. If you ask someone for help, if you say, can I meet up with you and we talk through some of our writing, the chances are they're probably going to say yes, which is 
we're so lucky in that respect. Like it's a small community and people really yeah. want other people to succeed. And so having that sense of I'm not doing this alone, it's helpful obviously for a long novel project. Um, and also just having someone who's who's heard your writing before, who knows where you've dropped the ball and have picked it up again. Is, is helpful because when you're in the, my husband likes to use this term, the fog of war. So when you're starting a novel, you're in the fog of war, you don't know how much you don't know. And then by the get, by the time you get to the end, you have a sense of what you don't know, but it's still helpful to have someone else point it out to you or give you a Yeah, mm. yeah. Okay, I, I had one more question that I wanted to ask about your, your characters. Mm. And that is, who's your favorite? <laughs> Uh, that's terrible, isn't it? It's a horrible question. <laughs> it's like yeah. choosing your favorite child. Yeah, I mean, this this the four is nice because there's so many secondary characters, and I quite liked all of them. I mean, I'm not going to give any spoilers away, but I really enjoyed Miles's character and the power that they wielded um, as a sort of secondary character. And I'm quite interested in that. Sindiwe as well in the story is the daughter of the Minister of yeah. Police. She's an important protest leader, but we don't ever hear from her. So you only get to know who she is through other people's opinion, which is really how we do go about the world. It's how we think about other people is based on, you know, the things they say, what they do and what other people think of them. Um, so I enjoy writing those characters and I do feel attached to them because I feel like I know them, but the readers don't get to know them very well. Um, so yeah, I love Miles. And I, I mean, our president in the story, and Nonne, is completely mad. And initially when I had written her as well, she was a bit more of a caricature and she was just too easy to hate. And now by yeah. the end, you do care about Nonne. You, you know, she's she's a complicated person who's a bit hopeless. Yes. But you do care yeah. about her. Mm. No, you get her, like, her backstory. And yeah. so you understand her a bit better which is probably also came out when you sort of worked on character backgrounds yeah. and all yeah. of that. Yeah, so sometimes you have to ask why are they behaving like this? Because for me, when a character comes, they, they are themselves. They start behaving in this way, and I don't always know why. And when you yeah. do know why, it's so helpful because it makes you as a writer more able to have compassion for them, which makes you able to write better characters, I think. Yeah, I, I think it's just true to life. Like, nobody's just evil or just yeah. good um so yeah but um another thing about your writing that i really enjoy is uh, which is also very uh, true to life is um your character's dialogue um <laughs> i think you just write incredible dialogue and um yeah it really flows uh, it's another thing that makes you you know race through this book because the dialogue just flows so naturally and um uh, so how how do you uh, do that? How do you craft your dialogue? Do you listen to people's conversations? You know, <laughs> do you yeah, eavesdrop? <laughs> all the time. And the lockdown has sincerely deprived me of that ability. Like, there's not I enough know. people sitting around talking to each other in groups. And I don't really want to be hanging around at a mall. But I do, I do eavesdrop because I think it helps you to hear when people interrupt. You know, when, pe when people are talking, they don't always let other people finish their sentences. They don't let you tell the fact that they've already heard before. They will say, I've heard that part. Um, I have a family friend whose granny tells long stories and her mom always goes, heard it, <laughs> so that you don't forget the story again. <laughs> and it's such a powerful piece of dialogue because it tells you so much about two characters' relationship if one is going, heard it, over and over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, so, so I do I do like to listen and eavesdrop and, and think about that. But what I also like to do, that is also something I learned from workshops and, you know, 
working with other writers is to read your dialogue aloud um, because you'll also hear how far you are into a sentence before you get bored of saying it because people don't finish their sentences. They drop off halfway or they'll segue. They don't carry on telling you fact, 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 fact. They'll, and then this time, oh, wait, I have to tell you about this first. And so when you, when you think of reading it out aloud, you hear the points where you in a story might change the way you were telling it. Um, yeah. But I do think it, it helps when you have, have a deep understanding of who your characters are because that changes how they talk, yes. you know, who they will let interrupt them and who they will interrupt. Those are important um, secrets that they might have that they won't, you know, that would stop them from saying something or secrets and lies are always very helpful in, in character development as well. And they, sh they shape the way you talk and how openly you talk. Mm. So in the, in the fall, there's a scene where Adnan's sitting in a foyer and there's two women talking to each other and he's eavesdropping. He's pretending to listen to his radio, but he's eavesdropping. And so oh, they yeah, talk yeah. as if he can't hear them. And people talk differently when they think you're not listening than when they think you are. So I think yes. all of those, it's, it's, I mean, it's not ever one, you know, you're taking into a lot, you're thinking about a lot of things when you're writing how people are talking to each other. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, but I mean, it's great. It's done really well. Thank you. And you've spoken about, well, we've spoken about this a bit already, but there's definitely a very strong line of tension running through the book. Um, and maybe uh, do you perhaps want to say a bit more about um, crafting tension in a story? I, I know we, we've spoken about, mm. um, you know, the, the characters, what the characters want and mm -hmm. creating conflict for them so mm. that the story is uh, pushed forward. And also the structure of your novel also adds, uh, like we said, you know, going back to a certain character or um, having the reader wait to find out what's happening with that character again. That all adds to the tension. Mm -hmm. But maybe there's something else you wanted to add regarding, you know, crafting tension in a in a novel. Well, I think the novel is set up that there's sort of different types of South African characters that we all know very well. So there's the protesting students, there's the, you know, quite domineering, aggressive, violent government. Then there's the people in the background of the government, which are interesting to me because that was my career for a long time. And then mm -hmm. there's the journalists who we all rely on to tell us what the hell is going on in our politics. So obviously all of those groups or types of people have different desires and wants and they're going to mm -hmm. come into conflict and the most obvious overarching conflict in the story is the students versus the government so students who want the the access to education who's insistent on holding them back the reasons for holding them back in the story are obviously playful and are you know a bit speculative they're not the same as the ones that we see in our normal politics but because we can relate to that story of civil injustice, social injustice in South Africa, that creates a tension that we as a reader would be familiar with, the sense of some people are going to get what they want and it's not necessarily yeah. fair. And I think I'm quite disturbed by unfairness and injustice. It's a, it's a part of my character because I think as a feminist, I know how frustrating it is when you, when you knock up against an overarching system or structure that mm. doesn't let you do the things you want to do. Um, and so for me, that's a very clear driver of tension is when people are not willing to give, when two sides are not willing to give up what they want, they are going to have a conflict. And yeah. so that I think is, is one set. But, you know, the fall is the backdrop to the story. The story is also about 
what you'll do for the people that you'll love. If you think of the characters of Hector and um, Ray, who are both trying to protect and please Sindiwe in different ways, that drives their narrative. Yes. It's the same with Tuli, who loves Sindiwe very much. And with Helen, she's just trying to hold her life together. She has a duty to us as a public. And she, her, her attention is, can she make it to the end of the story and still hold on to what she's been trying to get control of in her own life? So it's a lot about control and what we would want to do. Yes. So there's like what the plot is of the story and then there's what the story is about, which is much more complicated. <laughs> yeah, that's very interesting because I've um, heard people call it um, a political thriller as well. And would, mm. you, would you agree with that? And do you want to talk maybe a bit more about the, you know, the political, the current political, uh, current <laughs> politics in South yeah. Africa that, that helped to, you know, craft this narrative? I think we've all just come out of a decade of systematized corruption and lies. So we were used to politicians standing up and we were used to disbelieving everything they said and questioning their motives. But we were also used to not really having very much power to change any of that and or sense amongst the general population that there was nothing that we could do. All we could do was vote and watch parliament on television. And, and so I think that that feeling of, of certainty about a terrible future, that despair that many of us felt politically promoted apathy. Mm. And then the student protesters came along and refused to buy it. They refused to buy the lie that there wasn't enough money for fees. And they took their refusal of this lie to power. And it was so important as a moment in our politics because it was, you know, there's a there's a protest every single day. There's many protests every single day in South Africa, but they're written off mm. and ignored as a normal part of how things go, largely because the protests are by poor, disenfranchised people, and and South Africa is a system that is fundamentally unequal. But when students, who everybody recognises, are quite an elite, small group of people, it's roughly 13 to 20 percent of people ever get to go to university. When those people are saying they don't believe the lies, it creates a much more important sense of something has gone horribly wrong. So the, that narrative was important for me because it it didn't allow us all to say we didn't know that things were terrible and that we didn't know that we could also do something if we wanted to. Um, so they, I found them very inspiring as a movement. And, you know, I was yeah. a student myself. I struggled with my student fees. But if there was a sense that you just better fit in and not complain too much about it and, you know, take that extra job. And these students said, no, like, they came here to study. Mm. They don't do six jobs just to pay their fees, which I think was just, it was just really cool and um, impressive. And yeah. then our, we were at the politics of the fire pool. We were at the politics of government telling us bold-faced lies. And I think, you know, we are to some extent out of that. Um, I'm very grateful that we are not under the same leadership you know, ostensibly, we're not under the same leadership that we were for the yes. last during this time of COVID and crisis, because I think it would have been terrifying to not believe that your government was telling you at least mostly the truth. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it makes it makes for interesting writing in the contemporary period, because now our government has quite a lot uh, of good branding. You know, there is a sense that they're mm. better. They're quite, I mean, it's be easier for anyone yes. to be but... but they are still essentially the same group of people. So those elements of 
of problematic leadership are still there. And without this becoming, you know, like a political radio show, this makes for really fun characters because that sense mm. of conflict between the two groups is hazier and it's really much harder to be the person who stands up for your rights when other people are saying, but you have them already. What are you protesting about? That mm. makes dynamic and a different sense of conflict which is um, fun to write about as well yeah and what makes it even more interesting in the fall is that it's not only you're not only working with real sort of real current situations but it's also a speculative fiction novel and i mean a lot of it has fantastical elements and uh so uh, what made you decide to go the the speculative fiction route? I think it's it all started with Julie because I knew that she could see the future. So that's mm -hmm. not a spoiler in any way. You get that. In no, yeah. <laughs> but she could see a certain amount of days ahead in the future. And if she could do that, that meant that the world wasn't exactly the world that we knew, that other things would be able to be twisted and tweaked a little bit and I think there, there are elements of our politics and the way that we are we so used to the normalization of inequality and violence and police brutality and silencing that I wanted to comment on those without it being like hitting you over the head with a hammer and the speculative elements are a fun way to do that so instead of having a fire pool which already is a speculative element of our narrative yeah, we have a magical zoo you know and instead of yeah. the the police being humans who are fine with shooting down ordinary protesters. What happens if they weren't? What happens if something else more sinister was going on? Um, so I think it was a fun way to to comment on the on the reality that we are used to and that we don't notice anymore because it is our normal. Um, mm. And just fun to play as a writer as well. I hadn't. I, I love reading speculative fiction. I love reading sci-fi. And I hadn't written much of it. Um, yeah. It was just fun to give it a try. Yeah, it's interesting because your first novel was a very realistic novel. So mm -hmm. it is a complete uh, genre shift for you. Yeah. And is it something that you think you're going to continue with or um, uh, or, you, or are you going to do you plan on trying out all types <laughs> of different genres? Yeah, maybe. I mean that's the dream as a writer is to be able to write, you know, the great novel, the speculative one, the child yeah. story that would change people's lives. I am, I'm still writing. So at the moment I'm writing two novels and a nonfiction. <laughs> the oh, one wow. novel is speculative. The one isn't. The one is very much real life. And the nonfiction is, is obviously based in, in fact and more memoirish. So I think it's, it's about writing. It's like a pressure that I feel in my body. If I'm not doing it, then I feel a sense of, you know, that feeling where you're about to burst into tears. And if one person asks you, are you okay? You will die and explode. And just like, like, yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's the same sort of sense, like you have to get it out. Um, and I've heard other writers say, you know, if you don't have to write, then, then you, you will know if you are a writer because you won't feel that sense of like having to get something out on the page. Mm. And for a long time, that that sense of getting something out for me was met by like my blogs and opinion writing that I was doing about gender equality and my research. Um, but then I reached a stage where I felt like I wanted to tell a story in a different way. And I think if you're a person who's trying to or who wants people to notice things about our world that, you know, that it is fundamentally unjust and that we all are choosing to do it, 
you have to try all mediums to get people to notice that. And some people are going to only notice it when you do it in a magical way and others will notice it if you write a journalistic article. Um, yeah. So I'm not saying I'm like a big crusader or anything, but <laughs> it's something that troubles me. Injustice really troubles me. And I think I'm going to keep writing it out until, you know, I write to make sense. And so that's what I'm going to keep trying to do in whatever formats that my writing allows me to do. Well, yeah, I think you absolutely um, achieved that in the fall. I mean, it's uh, it's a you know just a fantastic read actually. But uh, like I said, a page turner and it's something you can you know, easily read and enjoy. It's not too heavy um, that you you can even read it you know for holiday reading or whatever. But mm-hmm. um, but. Uh, very uh, like under the surface there's actually you're touching on a lot of um social issues and mm. um you're actually reaching people indirectly i think um th- in that way and yeah so i think you're reach- you're you're achieving your goal that's <laughs> what you're doing <laughs> maybe we can to wrap up i can still talk to you like for two hours i think but um just to wrap up maybe we can uh, you can um give some advice to uh, aspiring writers yeah who want to get into this game so i think it's helpful to think of writing as sort of a um, a muscle that you have to exercise and like any muscle it needs rest and it needs hard work and it also needs stretching and so i think For me, when I've got the energy to write, when there is that niggle or that pressure inside of me, I write as much as I can. And there's inevitably a point where I feel tired and I'm not going to write anymore. And some people will say to you, just keep writing, you know, write every single day. And that's, I think that is fantastic advice, but I think anything that is compulsory is something that I resist. (laughs) So write as much as you can when you have the energy when you feel like you need a rest or you're stuck then I suggest turning to the works of other writers reading books on writing watching courses on writing because they help you to think about your work in a new way and and when you need to rest read good books that can teach you about sentences and paragraphs and characters that you believe in those stories that means that they've done something right. And by reading slowly and paying attention to that, you might pick up the thing that's keeping you stuck. But if you can write every day, write every day. If you write every single day one page of your novel, by the end of the year, you will have a novel, which is an incredible thing. (laughs) You know, you'll have a draft. And a shit first draft is something that you can work with. It's something that you can tweak and edit and pull pages out of and cross whole characters out, which is what I had to do in the fall. How many drafts did you do? Sorry to. (laughs) For the four, I mean, so I I wrote most of it in 2017. I would say I finished a complete draft. And then I think I submitted it to Cruella probably mid-2018 after I had then edited it. And then we went through a full round of reworking and editing and I went to workshops. So probably four drafts. And then obviously once it's submitted to you, you work with the editors and the proofreaders as well, which technically is a new version. So So from starting to write the book to when it hit the shelves is like three and a half, four years, Um, which is why you need those rest periods and those periods of motivation. And like think of them as snacks as a writer. (laughs) Like you need your treats and you need your days of healthy eating. It's like anything in life, there's a balance. Um, Yeah. Mm. 
Well, I think that's excellent advice to anyone out there who wants to be a writer. And I think this whole conversation, I mean, can can act as as sort of a guide to um, how to go about the whole thing. Um, and also just for anyone who's interested in books, yeah, you've given us uh, such a lot of interesting info. Um, and thank you so much for just a wonderful discussion. Thank you, Carolyn. And thank you so much for supporting writing in South Africa. We need you. <laughs> Keep up the good work. It's a pleasure. What I'm about to tell you is important. Just listen. Tuli, just spit it out. It can't be that serious. What I saw today is going to change everything. In a week, Hector will be dead. I saw it in a glitch. Sometime between now and Sunday, Hector's going to be shot. Hey, Hector. Stop polishing your techies and get your butt to campus. This movement isn't going to lead itself. Things are different. There's something in the energy of the movement, a conviction I've never felt before. I've changed too. I'm ready this time. This protest matters. We have to change things for the better. You get into varsity for five minutes before you realize you're out of your depth and out of pocket. Fees, copies, printing, student cards, food, and suddenly you're out of pocket. Doesn't matter what high school you went to, university costs a bomb. I'm going to change things. This time around, I'm making it out alive. There's no turning back now. Today's going to be a big day. The minister's coming to address us on campus. It should be lit. At least this isn't the old days. Nobody gets shot at a university protest. I won't allow anyone to get in the way of this launch on Friday, especially not a bunch of quasi-intellectual student activists. They've chosen the wrong president to pick it against. Alice, get me the Minister of Police on the phone! Ray better sort this out before I have to take matters into my own hands. Bet she wouldn't want that daughter of hers in harm's way. Your Excellency, what is it that I can help you with? Ray, these protests are becoming a nuisance. I think it's time for a firmer hand. Madam President, we've already deployed the special forces to campus. That alone is extreme. The boy leader, I think it's time to take him out. But Nonne! Don't call me by my first name on official business, Minister. You're speaking to the President. Don't make me get someone else to do it. They could... I don't know, get the wrong student by mistake. The shot comes from the direction of the SRC building. 
Helen, you believe me, don't you? I can't help him, but you can. How'd you work that one out? If you start trying to solve this now, you can work out who'd want to kill him before it's too late. Will you at least try to find out? One thing is certain. If Tully is right, there are only seven days to change the future. Set in an alternate Cape Town and told by a diverse cast of characters, The Fall is an enthralling, edge-of-your-seat read. to Sibs Matiela as Tuli, Ananda Morris-Pava as Helen, Sia Kumalo as Malusi, Loiso Madinga as Hector, Tiffany Kagure-Mugo as None, Tumi Zanzi as Ray, and Relebone Reranzu e Africa for the voice of the narrator. Special thanks to Francis Struer, our producer.